Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elcherson, and uh, joined with me today is uh, Christina Andronley. Hello, everyone. From the IPG Media Lab's strategy team. And our special guest this week is Brian Hughes, who is the SVP of Audience Insight and Strategy over at Magna. So, Brian, say hello. Hello. Uh, so, Brian, before we dive in, why don't you give our listeners a quick little background about yourself uh, and what Magna does here in the larger corporation of IPG? Sure. So, uh, Magna is a centralized resource at IPG Media Brands, and we are sort of specialized in what we call the three I's, which are investment, intelligence, and innovation. Um, we partner with you guys at the lab a lot for forward thinking insights, and it's our job to kind of keep our clients informed on what consumers are doing and what's the best way to communicate with them. I've actually never heard of the three I's before, so I like that, uh, I like yeah. that acronym. So this episode, we'll be talking about Magna's latest media economy report, which is a biannual report that comes out once in the, in the beginning of the year to align with CES and then once halfway through the year to align with CANS. So this is going to be the one that aligns with CANS. And this one is going to be focusing on e-commerce. So um, Brian, you want to give us a little background on this economy report sure yeah so we um we wanted to dive into e-commerce a little bit because um it's uh it's you know last year it reached about 437 billion dollars in terms of online sales probably on track to hit half a trillion this year um and our friends at reprise are in the process of building out a uh, e-commerce practice so we thought the timing was right to really take a deep dive in this leverage their expertise and um, you know, dig on dig in on a topic that honestly I was not an expert at going in, and it's really you know I've learned a ton just throughout this process. Right. So you hopefully now you're the uh, the expert on everything e-commerce. I am an expert, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's fantastic, and I think it's um, a great topic. It aligns well with, with a lot of other trends that we're seeing in the market today, especially from like the lab perspective. Um, it's like retail in general is a topic that we've been covering, and how that's been split uh, really between differentiation and convenience and you know how e-commerce plays you know a big fact into the larger uh you know scope of the of, of the industry um but for our listeners um right off the bat are there any key highlights that if if you only had three seconds to talk about this report like what what, what would be like those like top highlights for the report that every listener should um should know well, I think it's, I mean, obvious that it can change the game for retail, but I think it's also changing the way people behave. And there's definitely a media component to that. So obviously there's an opportunity to, um, you know, connect media with immediate purchases if possible, but it also has kind of uh, made us take a look at what does brand building mean in a world where everything is sort of online in terms of, uh, you know, the products that you want. I would say, do you have any, any favorite products online that you are uh, loyal to or becoming less loyal to based off of how you shop? Well, I know I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not alone here, but uh, we have a lot of animals at home. So I buy a ton of like cat litter and pet food online. Um, and if you sort of do the Amazon subscribe and save, it definitely uh, makes a lot of sense for stuff like that. Okay. And then this kind of goes into a great question I want to ask. But when it comes to, you know, shopping online, when was the last time any of you guys here? paid for shipping i think the only time is when i'm really impatient like i want it now and then even then i'll jump my prime membership to get pay the five bucks or whatever it is to get it the next day or the same day but that's the only time right christina what about you the last time i paid for shipping was actually very recently 
I am really into refreshing my home and decorating my home and I look for really one of a kind things and what I'll say will be funny given that I have been looking for a modern terracotta vase that is a certain shape and a certain color and that's matte for like eight months okay and oddly enough I found exactly what I was looking for on target and I had to pay for shipping which is unbelievable given how directly you would think they compete with Amazon and the the totally superior experience that Amazon would have provided but I think the lesson there is if someone wants something I was able to scour the entire internet basically for the one thing I wanted and I found it and that's why I was willing to pay for shipping okay because I mean like my because when when we're going through this and one of the big points out of the report was that free shipping is a huge driver when it comes to e-commerce and I took a second to like look back on like my, my previous purchases and I can't remember the last time I paid for shipping. And I know recently uh, with the Pico Brew actually, I was looking for to get a new new brew pack and it was a $20 shipping charge to get like, get this brew pack. And I was like, what on earth is this? And I just, I, the idea of shipping no longer registers in my mind. Like if it's not free, then I'm not buying. Like that's like a big, like kind of like a barrier to entry in a sense for me to shop online to these to these different websites whatever it might be well free shipping is what really makes the price differential real right like why would you bother buying something online if you can get it for you know if you count the shipping in that it would cost to get to you and then you can get it for that same amount of money in the store why bother you know because then it's immediate but the fact that you can have free shipping and get the object for a cheaper price makes all the difference right and that's the world that's the world i'm living in especially here in new york like Everything comes to my door almost immediately. Prime yeah. now is great. And the fact that that consumer expectation that was set by Amazon uh, permeates across basically every category that we shop online um, to the point where if I have to pay for shipping and it's not two days, it's a bad experience in consumer's eyes. Right. Absolutely. Um, but with that, I think we should dive into uh, the first section of the media econ report, which is the supply section. So, Brian, do you want to give us or can you elaborate a bit more on what you what you guys are defining as supply uh, in the media econ report? So basically, you know, when we think of supply, it's kind of grows out of what we would think of as in the most basic sense. If you think of TV rating points, right, that's the supply, ah, some, the TR- some TRPs. Right. So that's like kind of the, a basic way to think about it. But um, more in the sense we're talking about you know, consumer attention, right? So it's really like, what is the supply of consumer attention and how does their media consumption relate to things like e-commerce? Got it. So are there any, any areas in general that you're seeing, um, I guess, like pop for these consumers? Like, is there more attention going to social where there's interesting opportunities for brands to get involved with like social shopping? Is it becoming more so like these direct consumer brands? Is it these big box retailers like Amazon and Walmart? It's definitely, they're definitely digitally heavy sort of media users. Whereas if you looked at um, just like brick and mortar shoppers by comparison of which, you know, there are very few brick and mortar shoppers that don't also shop online at this point, but there are a few. And if, you know, they're, they would be more of like a heavier TV consumer, although lighter consumers of media overall. I think the heavy e-commerce shopper is really just a avid consumer in general in the in kind of every sense of the word. Gotcha. Okay. And well, I mean, and, and I think that that's a great lead up into this next question here. But like, so what is that average e-commerce consumer look like? Demographic, you know, male, female, are they wealthy? Are they, you know, a bit 
middle not so wealthy like what's that breakout there's definitely some nuances by the site or app but um, in general what we found is that it skews a bit more female uh, in the kind of the 25 to 54 age range and um, a little bit more on the affluent scale in terms of household income but again it could be a little bit of a different story depending on the app like one of the things that we noticed was there's this company called wish which i hadn't honestly heard of up until I'm uh, i did this report right right there with you uh, <laughs> so i guess the whole premise with with wish is that you, you the shipping you know the convenience of shipping you're you're willing to sacrifice that to get a very very cheap price so that's like their value proposition and um but you know that that sort of really low-end pricing that comes i think mostly from the pro stuff comes from asia that that kind of uh attracts maybe a little bit of a, of a more sort of middle income consumer that wants the best the best deal and is willing to wait to get the stuff. Christina, have you shopped on Wish yet? I'm about to. I have not shopped on Wish and <laughs> I don't know if I want to include this, but I have been a victim of those ads on Facebook that drive to the direct to like the direct wholesaler in China and I bought a bathing suit on there for $12. And Great I waited deal. three weeks to get it, and it was the dead of winter, so I didn't care. I later saw that on a celebrity on a blog, and they linked to my exact same bathing suit, and it was $200. No way. That is a fantastic, fantastic case study. So I feel so like everybody I go to Wish. Yeah, everybody go to Wish and start ordering <laughs> things because that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> And that, what's interesting is I've I've noticed personally they've started to advertise more on television now, um, and we can, well I know we're going to get in a little bit into what that you know what what the strategy is for e-commerce players and how they advertise, but I thought that was pretty pretty interesting. When it comes to actually like starting like a like a search for a product, whatever it might be, where are you guys looking first? Is it Google? Is it Facebook? Is it Amazon? Because today the consumer journey is really intertwined. Like nobody really knows truly where it starts or truly where it ends unless it's a purchase. Um, it's all sorts of craziness going on. But is there any place that you guys prefer to start your searches? And then, Brian, I got some more questions for you about that. I think it depends on what I'm looking for. If I was looking for something super specific, like Christina was just saying, then I would probably start with Google. Okay. But if it's stuff I, you know, I know exactly what I want, then I can go right to an Amazon or, or another site. Um, we just noticed when we were looking at the data that if you look at sort of the app behavior, like 65, 70% of the time, about 10 minutes before they visited whatever shopping app they were using, they were on Google searching. Not necessarily, you know, we can't prove that they were searching specifically for whatever they were shopping for, but it is an interesting correlation. Yeah, I think to just build on what Brian's saying, there are some times when I'm looking for, and it depends on the product, I think. Um, there are some products where I want to know what the softest towel is and I don't, there's no creativity or inspiration. And so there I would start on Google maybe or on Amazon and search that way. Um, if I'm looking for home goods or I'm looking for clothes and I need more creativity and inspiration to think about how things are styled, I start on Instagram. I go straight to Instagram. I look at people whose style I admire uh, and I look at what they're doing and kind of save a couple images. Um, and it's great now that 
Instagram now has the shop feature embedded directly in the images. Yep, they yep they just announced that for um for like their stories, so you can now have a kind of like a shop tag in like, integrated into your story. So if you want to display something, you right. click. Which is interesting, and I think relates back to trends you're seeing that a lot of the fashion brands that I've worked with are still super print heavy. Um. And I would think, and I know it takes time to evolve spends and chase where consumer attention is, but I think there's a huge opportunity for more established brands to consider Instagram or other emerging platforms as part of their bigger strategy. Because my guess, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, Brian, is that's kind of where attention is these days. Yeah, sure. We, so if you, if you break down just like total media time spent uh, overall for the average adult, and it's, uh, it's definitely a big opportunity there. And we've done some studies too that show sort of the best ways to use mobile in terms of advertising, like taking, you know, doing vertical video, for example, and, and making relatively short ads just to kind of cater to the experience. Yeah, I think that's also a great lead into the like the actual demand section of the of the media ecom report because knowing that attention is shifting towards mobile like this is like a large trend um, in the report you guys noted that a lot of the shopping for e-commerce still happens on desktop which I thought was shocking um, I wasn't I, I, I really wasn't expecting that so um, are you able to kind of provide any more like kind of insights into your why you think this might be uh, the case yeah, I mean, I, I have a couple of theories. I don't, you know, I don't have any direct proof. But, and honestly, I was surprised, too, just knowing how much more time people spend on mobile than desktop these days. Uh, I mean, the, what I could, as far as I can tell, I, I mean, my theory, one, is that maybe it's uh, a lot of consumer electronics, for example, are bought on online. So people maybe want to afford themselves a closer, better look at the, uh, at the, the, the merchandise. And so the bigger screen maybe helps them do that. The only other thing that came to mind was maybe, and this is kind of a more psychological thing, is it like perhaps, uh, you know, buying something on the fly on your mobile feels a little impetuous or... Uh, feels too easy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when you're sitting at your computer, maybe it feels a little more, you know, serious and or official in some way. But that's that's all I got. I honestly, I was, I was surprised by this as well. But, you know, mobile share of that pie is definitely growing and it'll, it'll definitely shift that way over time. Yeah. It was interesting because I, I think that also brings into um, kind of like looking at brands like something that they, that they can think about is that I, there might be still an opportunity to truly optimize that mobile shopping experience, whether it comes you know through an app or through mobile web, um, knowing that there's still such a large majority of people that are shopping on desktop. I think there's a great opportunity to you know better optimize that online mobile shopping experience. But what's interesting, too, is a lot of these digitally native brands that are popping up start on Instagram, start with e-com, and are now in brick and mortar, oddly enough. That is an interesting trend. I mean, Amazon's been opening bookstores, and um, that that is uh, kind of yeah. a reverse of what you'd expect. Yeah, Casper now has a mattress store that you can go in and lay on a mattress, which makes sense because you have mattress you want to like try to try it on, but it's... It comes at a time also, and Brian, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the report, you kind of mentioned this, that all these e-com brands that would you would think have heavy digital spends on the mobile devices, desktop, those digitally native platforms are now just transitioning to TV. So it's just like, I feel, I feel like we're in, a, in like a crazy paradox or something like that that's like going on. It's like online retailers are going offline, they're spending money on TV. Like, what's happening? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously there's a, an attractiveness to advertising online because you could potentially be 
you know, leading directly to a purchase if you're driving to the site or whatever. But um, I think there is an interest in brand building, and that's really what TV is known for, is um, kind of building brands and, and brand awareness. And so maybe there's uh, some interest in the part of these e-com players to get their brand in people's minds and, uh, and, 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 you know, drive people to it that way. It is interesting, too, because I think there's a dimension of still wanting to touch and feel things, right? Yep. Um, and I think it's hard to recreate that on e-commerce and that's why you see things like Warby Parker's model where they'll send you the at-home try-on kits to kind of mimic that brick and mortar but I do think at the end of the day which is also interesting considering the fact that e-commerce is still 10% of all sales growing very fast but and it but it's still small and that could speak maybe to the fact that um, these e-commerce native brands are trying to go more mass with the way that they market. Yeah, um, and it is uh, one of the things we covered in the report, and and you guys helped us out with actually was looking at the ways that the you know e-commerce players are trying to you know bring that touch and feel experience to life, uh, you know, without having to actually go to the store. So, you know, the apps that can sort of using VR and AR, you can see what the chair looks like in your room, or you can virtually try on stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, a avid user of the IKEA Place app. Uh, that's how I kind of modeled out the table I want for my space. Uh, big update listeners, I now have a table. It's huge, so uh, I'm very excited about that. So we just talked about the fact that e-commerce is still a pretty small but high growth area of total shopping. Do you guys have any intel on or hypotheses on why that is or what's kind of holding it back is it that touch and feel aspect is it that the experiences aren't there or what do you guys think about that yeah i mean i i think there's probably part of it although i was another kind of surprising factoid that i discovered was that apparel is the second biggest category for online sales and you would think that's kind of a touch and feel and try on type of thing that people would want to still go to the store and and, and, you know, and try things on. But uh, you mentioned Warby Parker. That's a good example. And then there's all these clothing clubs where they send you a bunch of stuff and you just keep the stuff you want and send the rest back. So they've made it really easy. I was going to say, I think, again, I, I think that comes down to uh, hopefully the free shipping. Because um, I know the way, sample size of one here, but this is how my mom shop, right? She will go to the JQ website because they, they always have sales now. And it's like, $25 minimum gets you free shipping. Well, she'll order $100 worth of stuff, but, you know, five different sizes of everything. So that way she can have that in-store, sh- like, at-home try-on experience in the comfort of her own home. It's all delivered, you know, in, like, a few days, and then she just packages it back up and sends it out and totally re- returned for free. So it's kind of like that same sense where there's, an, that, again, that underlying convenience of that having, like, that free shipping. So as more and more shopping goes online, it kind of changes the levers that brands can play with things like packaging and logo and design and things like end caps and shopper marketing become less and less important Um, what are those new value drivers in e-commerce well i mean i think it's you know we touched on a little bit sort of increasing convenience so um, you know, if you think of like Amazon dash buttons, you know, it's super easy to reorder stuff that you need. And then more recently, when you get with smart speakers, you don't even have to do anything other than speak a simple sentence and you can get the stuff that you wanted. 
Um, so it's just getting easier and more seamless to be able to, to, to get that stuff. So, I mean, it, it kind of, you know, it, it could go both ways. So, you know, it could potentially be a challenge to things like brand loyalty, but it could also mean that maybe you're not that interested in switching back and forth between different brands. You just want to get the stuff automatically every month or every couple of weeks. And so you, you just stick with one brand. But that's that could be another reason why we are seeing some of these e-commerce players go to TV to to try and like build that brand loyalty that maybe is a little bit in flux in the, in the new kind of commerce world. And Brian, to that point, I thought it was interesting um, that you kind of talk about was like brand loyalty and what that means. It's especially um, it kind of kind of creates this like paradigm, like like you said, where it's it could either work in your favor as a brand, where it'll totally lock you in, or uh, you'll never like you'll, you'll never never be discovered, because as for example, you know more of our decisions are powered through AI. Uh, as a consumer, we aren't actively looking to be like, oh, I want this particular brand. It's like, oh, hey, this is recommended to me. Just good power it, give it, give it to me. Um, which kind of it's 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 inter- it's an interesting back and forth because like as we said for like for one brand, it could be awesome. You could get locked in on an auto replenishment, never think about it again, and that's the only thing you order. But then in the discovery phase, if, we, if we're if we kind of taking away that search of, you know, all these different blue links on Google and the, the kind of the visual aspects of that, when it comes to like voice, for example, you only get one search result given to you uh, through like the power of AI recommendations. Like you're not really like, like the set of potential opportunities for, for, for brands to inject their product into that search uh, is limited because it's more curated to you as a person. So I think it's just interesting things to be thinking about in, a, in, a, in an environment where um, you know, brands need to be thinking about how do they get hooked into the, into the consumer's like habits and like their routine. So uh, it just becomes something that they don't think about anymore. Can I ask a <coughs> question before you move on? Oh, please, please go in. Um, what other spaces are you seeing e-commerce infiltrate lately? Uh, the biggest one that kind of popped up in the when we were doing the new value driver section was grocery. So I mean, for us in a big city like New York, it's kind of, it seems like old hat to, you know, get, uh, you know, fresh direct and that kind of delivery service. But I think it's sort of starting to expand to other, you know, smaller markets with things like Flipkart. And uh, we're just seeing it, you know, move in that direction where, you know, in terms of non-perishable grocery type stuff, more and more of it's happening online and people are, um, you know, starting to be comfortable more with that grocery type products being you know ordered online and delivered to their home yeah i would say that's one area uh, especially here at the lab that we focus on as like one of like the big trends when the amazon acquired whole foods like that put just sent shockwaves through um pretty much all, all the different industries that are out there today and it's interesting to see how well that's like developing because like now i know across like all like all the board like there's now there's they're now starting to roll out like whole foods delivery um powered by Amazon, you know, across all the different markets now, uh, which is interesting. The one thing that I am kind of like, like hung up on is like, I think all like the, like the, what's not produce, um, packaged goods, packaged goods. Yes. Those ones, um, all the packaged goods. I think people are super, that's like no question. I'm, I'm interested to learn like, when are we gonna hit the inflection point where people are totally okay with having this like produce delivered to them? Yeah. I mean the, the kind of the emerging trend that we, we saw and, and we, we spoke actually for the report to uh, one of the experts at Nielsen uh, in, in commerce and you know, one of the things they cover is click and collect. So it's kind of bridging the two worlds together. So you go online and order all the stuff you want and someone else does the shopping for you and you don't have to stand in line but you still you know you just kind of show up and pick up your stuff so it's kind of like you know half and half you know one foot in one foot out in terms of that kind of thing 
but yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, we're pretty comfortable. I think here with stuff like Fresh Direct, you get our produce delivered, but I think that's still not the norm in general across the country. Did you guys look at meal kit deliveries at all? We did not. I, it was actually a little bit tough to find data on that. It wasn't much out there, but I mean, that's another thing, right? So you get all the only specifically what you need, you know, fresh and, and packaged alike. So um, I think that's probably, if I had to guess, skewing a little bit more to the affluent side. Mm-hmm. So maybe not as attainable or attractive for some people that are more in the middle or low end of the income spectrum. We saw some interesting research recently that, so Blue Apron is the market leader there. Uh, only 15% of first-time customers repeat a purchase. So churn rates are super, super high. And as a result, and this kind of speaks to what we were talking about with um, e-commerce and digital native brands going into brick and mortar, we're starting to see services like Blue Apron and HelloFresh stagnate in growth and go into grocery, into physical grocery. Yeah, I mean, I... You know, it's the supermarket chains have invested so much in their stores, they're not going to give that up easily. So I think, you know, if you think of what I was talking about with Cook and Collect, that's kind of the compromise. So they're not necessarily throwing away all their investments in the store, but they're kind of trying to bridge the gap to the online world and, and get people comfortable with with that. I had a good, I had a pretty good experience with HelloFresh when I ordered it, but turns out I, I just don't like cooking. So I'm waiting. I just... You're such a millennial. Does somebody just give me the food already made and I'll just microwave it? Like, there's 30 seconds. That's, that's like, that's about all I need. And that's like what I, that's I mean, what I look for. It's, in a, it's kind of a New York thing. I am far from a millennial and I definitely don't do much cooking these days. Yeah. It is a New York thing. Definitely too. a New York thing. I guess an experience. I don't know. But you know what's funny? This is totally an aside, but my parents are from the Bay Area. And whenever I go home, the only food you can get delivered to my house is pizza and Thai food. That's it. That's it. What about and salads? And we're in. We're thirty minutes away from Silicon Valley. That it's blows wild. My, that blows my mind. And even in the city of San Francisco, they're a little bit outside. In the city of San Francisco, the options are so limited hmm. for what you can deliver. But I think it speaks to what you were saying about we're kind of biased in New York, and we're used to things like Hello or not Hello Fresh, Fresh Direct, Fresh Direct. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it also depends on your preference. Like, you know, it, it's just myself and my wife at home, and, you know, we're like, we don't feel like cooking. It's been a long day. Yeah. Um, but I do actually enjoy cooking for a large group. So, like, on the holidays or over the summer and stuff like that, I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy some grill time or, or smoke some ribs up or something like that. Well, I think it's almost unanimous here that none of us like to cook. Um, and then at what point, if we don't like cooking, like, what's what's next? We don't want to shop. We don't want to clean. We pretty much just want somebody to do everything for us that maybe we can text, which is interesting because that's what Walmart just released with Jet Black. So this is a service that uh, allows you to have a personal concierge that you can text, and they will just bring things to you no matter what it is. So it's like if you want, just give me a TV, a Hot Pocket, and I don't know what else, uh, some dog food. You can text them. They'll tell you what it is. You, you, you're, like your, your credit card's all linked up to it, and they'll just buy it and then bring it to you. Wow. I wish I didn't know about that. Yeah, well, it, there's a waiting list, so um, hop on board. It's, it's, it's about 1,000 members long, but it's interesting because as, as we talk about, you know, all these different, like the way shopping's changing, you know, e-commerce is becoming huge, 
uh, it, it what has been huge, but it's it's just, it's just growing and growing and growing, and that's because of the convenience of it. So, what is that next step? Like, what is that next area where it's no longer us even doing the shopping? It could just be that you are texting somebody to do everything for you, and then that is how we shop in the future. So then, as a brand, like, what does that even mean? Like, what are the implications for that? Branded robots, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so what's interesting about Jet Black is. Uh, we used to, we sometimes conflate differentiation with premium and convenience with commodity. And I think what Jet Black does is it turns that on its head a bit. Um, what is more luxurious than the ultimate convenience and getting exactly what you want when you want it? That is premium. That is luxurious. I think the big question for me is especially with I think Jet Black is Walmart's effort to get to the coastal elite where Amazon has a stronghold, frankly. Walmart is has long been the leader in the middle of the country. My main question is, do consumers of luxury or of premium or might be higher household income when they see that Jet Black is associated with Walmart, does that have kind of a negative perception problem where I live in New York City, I don't want to be associated with Walmart. Um, And I think a signal of that is they called it Jet Black and have really no affiliation to Walmart per se, at least in their communications. But uh, I'm keeping my eye on that to see how well they penetrate those markets i think the fact that they have a long waiting list and people are talking about that is classic luxury marketing mm-hmm. 101 um but we'll see once the, a if they have to open the floodgates and b when and if they choose to do that it's definitely interesting unfortunately the announcement came before you know before we could get it or after rather we could get it into the report as sort of a Walmart affiliated uh, operation, but uh, it's definitely interesting. I am. I would, I would I would agree with you on the sense that there is because I mean obviously there's an opportunity for Walmart to expand into the into like luxury. Uh, they have a massive market penetration on like the on like the lower end, but why not try? Uh, I, again, it's this is the first project out of their uh, store number eight store, so it's as as the um, director of the and I forgot his name, but they said that's like. We have no idea if this is going to work, but it's a it's a great test. Um, so it makes sense for them to try because it's like again, like they have to start competing in some way, shape, or form with Amazon. And I think this is a good first step forward for them to see if they can't capture some like that luxury luxury market. I agree with you that I think there is going to be some brand perception issues, but if the service re- truly becomes its own like identity and it becomes and really de- delivers a high value experience, a luxury experience to like the, the higher end consumers. Then I think um, I think it'll be a, a worthy uh, competitor to some some of the areas that Amazon is uh, working to continue pushing forward with Prime. And my other question on Jet Black would be if they were if they would be able to scale, given that it's such a high touch, hand holding type of service. Um, but I think they can do that, and I think uh, something that Amazon does speaks to the fact that I think it's possible with. Amazon's last mile delivery and their ability to crowdsource essentially people to come and deliver packages in urban high traffic areas. Um, I think you can kind of mimic that same model with a jet black model where you have this workforce essentially of 
crowdsourced labor that can go and execute these tasks. Um, so it, I'm super interested to see what happens with Jet Black. Yeah, same here. Uh, but with that, shall we kind of dive into some brand takeaways uh, about the Media Ecom Report? So Brian, you want to kick us off? Any any top high-level, top-line brand takeaways that you think uh, brands should be thinking about? Well, I mean, one thing I would say is that just uh, there are little nuances in the way different shopping apps were used, and it's just something to think about if you're thinking about partnering with them in terms of you know trying to sell your products or whatever. Just to kind of think about how people use it and what's like kind of the best way to talk to them given that behavior. Right. Kind of build build your strategy for that platform and the users there. Don't kind of just like blanket across everything. I think looking at direct to consumer brands is a huge opportunity. I think to some of our previous discussions, big brands are spending over here with print and TV. The reason that direct to consumer brands have been able to steal so much share and grow categories essentially is because they're spending where consumer attention is in the media on things like Instagram and Facebook and now more with TV to get scale. But um, their core value proposition is that they are where attention is. And I think there's a lot to be learned from that in addition to things like direct selling and the value of that. And that aside, I think um, studying direct to consumer brands, how they've been able to grow, what they're doing is, I think there's a lot to be learned from that. What's going to be interesting is because obviously they rely so much on, on targeting is given all the stuff going on with, privacy and personal data does that impact how they market going forward that's a great point that's a good point and we'll have to see how that uh how, how that all plays out and um the last thing i'll add uh for the brand takeaway section is this that um we've talked about it in the past but voice uh, is is present it's here it's people are starting to shop this way discover this way so just building a voice strategy getting in that space see how you fit um will be super beneficial so when this becomes more of a mainstream event where people are ordering more products through that they're, they're searching more through it uh you as a brand have some way or some knowledge on, on how you best fit into that into that environment um so with that uh brian how can our listeners get in touch with you what's the ig the email the twitter so we're at magna global on twitter our instagram is magna.global and uh, you can go to magnaglobal.com, our website uh, as well, or drop uh, me and my colleagues line at intelligence at magnaglobal.com. Great. And then where can we find the 2018 Ecom Media Economy Report? Did, so, I, say, did I say that right? Uh, it would be the Media Economy Report. Yeah. The, the Media Economy Report. Yes. Um, if you are lucky enough to be attending Cannes next week or the, this week, depending on when this podcast is posted, um, then you can pick up a hard copy at the IPG Media Brands Villa. Otherwise, if you are one of our colleagues or a Magna subscriber, you can get it on our, the Atlas, which is our uh, home of, of all of our insights and reports. And if you're not a subscriber, you should definitely email us at intelligence at magnaglobal.com and we can talk about becoming one. Uh, but with that... Thank you all for uh, lending us your ears. And if you're looking for more great content, please check out our website, ipglab.com. From there, you can subscribe to the lab social media channels, which are at ipglab for Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can check out our newsletter on our website, uh, read more articles on our Medium blog. And if you like what you hear, tell your friends. Give us a like on 
Facebook, give us some claps on Medium, uh, give us an iTunes review, whatever you can do, we greatly appreciate it. So with that, thank you and talk soon.